Hey, and welcome to The Short Stuff. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's guest producer Dave Kustan over there. And um, this is Short Stuff. So, giddy up. <laughs> giddy up, literally, mm-hmm. because we're going to go back to the Old West. The rootin' tootin' Old West. We're jumping in the old Wayback Machine, and we're going uh-huh. to 1876. Like uh, Back to the Future 3. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. A movie I only saw once. That's all you need. Uh, some people love those. I didn't like the sequels. But we don't I have time s- for that. I never saw the second one. Okay, go. <laughs> you skipped, you did one and three? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like odd numbers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's 1876, and there we're in San Antonio, Texas. Yep, there's no basement in the Alamo. There is not. And uh, the Alamo is quite tiny, actually. It really is. It's like the Mona Lisa of buildings. <laughs> That's right. Or the Josh and Chuck of podcasters. That's right. People don't know we're only two feet tall. Yep. So uh, we're looking upon a scene. We're at a ranch, Mm -hmm. and there's a man over there named John Warren Gates. Yes. And he is, they call him Bet-A-Million Gates, and we have just thrown some money down on a bet of whether or not this little wire pin he has Mm -hmm. can hold in these bulls and cows and horses and these crazy longhorn steers, and my money is on, no way, Gates, no way that little wire is going to hold these animals in. Yeah, and I mean, we put a significant amount of money down because we just printed it ourselves because it's 1876 in the Old West, and you can do that. That's right, 100 simoleons. But I bet against him as well, Chuck, and the reason why is because it's just a little, little couple of things of wire with some barbs on it, and these are some angry steers, and what's more, he has a gaucho assistant swearing in Spanish at these um, these cows and uh, trying to get them riled up. And by goodness, we just lost our bet. I know. But it was quite a party. Mm-hmm. And we're hammered and we're going to go back to our canvas tent and sweat. Mm-hmm. I ate the worm. <laughs> so here's the deal. That story may or not uh, be not uh, true. May or be not true? <laughs> <laughs> may or be not true. Your mayor. That's right. <laughs> I'm glad we leave stuff like this in. Yeah. That's what makes us us. So uh, we don't know if that's all true or not. It's a great story, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But what is super true is that Bedemillion Gates was trying to drum up some uh, early press for this new fence made by a man named Joseph Glidden Mm -hmm. that uh, the Native Americans called, well, some people called thorny fences. The Native Americans called it, what, the devil's rope. Yeah. Because they didn't like it. But no. we just call it barbed wire. Yep, barbed wire. And um, and so Joseph Glidden didn't invent that stuff, although he did have a patent on what we, when you look at barbed wire, what you're looking at is the variety that Joseph Glidden came up with. But there are plenty of people who came up with their own version prior to him. And I was looking at, like, this list of them with pictures. Some of those are just vicious looking. Oh, I bet. Um, they're basically, like, cut up razor blades stuck in wire. I mean, just horrible stuff. But what Glidden did was he he took a, a barb and he, he twisted it around a wire, and then he added a second wire, right. just a plain wire, to tw- twist it around the first wire to hold the barb in place, keep it from sliding. But even more important than that, because it's pretty simple, and somebody probably would have come up with that sooner or later, was he patented it and he invented a method of um, producing it, mass producing it. And brother, did he mass produce it? Yeah, I mean, before he he very brilliantly decided to keep those barbs in place, which was the key, mm-hmm. those cows would just go up 
and hoof them over to the side mm-hmm. and slip right on through and right. sneak out to the skating rink. Because they are, cows are well known as being among the smartest animals. Yes, and their hoofs are, you know, they can do very fine detailed work. Like an abacus work. That's right. So I believe before my dumb jokes, <laughs> you were saying how much he was pumping this wire out. Yeah, tell him. Uh, by 1880, his factory in DeKalb, Illinois, were churning out 263,000 miles of wire. Yes. And uh, Chuck, that is enough to circle the earth 10 times over. How many Big Macs? That's a trillion Big Macs (laughs) stacked end to end. Yeah, and this was a big deal. It wasn't just like, oh, he invented invented some stuff and it helped keep some cows in and now Mm -hmm. we all use it and it's pretty neat. Like this changed the face of the American West along with other stuff. But it it had a big impact on the foundation and settling of the American West. Yeah, I mean, at, at least as much as, like, the locomotive, the telegraph, um, like, it was an enormous invention, especially for something so simple. Barbed wire, it's extremely simple. But up to this point, the Native Americans had been um, living nomadic existences, hunting buffalo, um, just basically moving around the Great Plains and the prairie for basically 15,000 years. That's right. Uh, like European ancestry uh, whites had showed up, but the first ones that showed up basically said, hey, I think this is, I think you guys are on to something. I'm going to embrace this kind of free range stuff and I'm bringing cattle and sheep and all sorts of other animals, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to let them just graze wherever and just move them around as the weather permits. And that worked okay. But when barbed wire came along, all of a sudden these open, enormous, vast expanses suddenly became closed off. And what used to just be common property that belonged to everyone and no one, suddenly huge slices of it were being um, fenced off, literally. And that changed tens of thousands of years of tradition in 10 years, maybe less. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's not like this was the first fence in the West. There were, you know, they could build wood fences, but in the prairie states, they didn't have a ton of lumber. Uh, There weren't trees everywhere. Mm -hmm. Wooden fences are super expensive. Rock and stone walls, like, are you kidding me, to do for a whole farm? Super expensive and also scarce. But what barbed wire did is it uh, democratized it and made it super cheap or relatively cheap, I guess, Mm -hmm. compared to the other things. Yeah. And easy and fast to say, this is my area and you're not coming in and these cows aren't getting out. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about how that changed the nuts and bolts of it right after this. So, Chuck, when people started putting up these fences, not everybody was on board with this. The Native Americans didn't like it. Like you said, they called the barbed wire devil rope. The old-timey cowboys, um, they didn't like it because they embraced free-range practices. And all of a sudden, their cattle were getting caught up in this stuff. Because part of the problem with um, barbed wire is not only did it keep stuff in, it kept stuff out. And so you could get tangled up in it either way. And the cattle that were used to just kind of roaming around free range would get caught in this stuff and would die of starvation, infections, 
um, they just get stuck in the fence and would never move again for the rest of their lives, the rest of their short lives. Well, yeah, and consider the Homestead Act. Uh, President Abraham Lincoln signed this in 1862 mm-hmm. that said, hey, are you an honest citizen of the U.S.? Yeah. You can be a freed slave. You can be a woman. Uh-huh. You can go claim up to 160 acres of land out there in the West. Uh-huh. Just build a house, work that land for five years. So all of a sudden there's a lot of people. You talked about the Native Americans ranging around. Imagine your tribe uh, riding your horses to where you want to go, and all of a sudden you're like, well, here's a 160-acre fence that I now have to drive around. Right. Drive? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, just a cattle drive. Oh, okay, drive your horse. Right. <laughs> all right. I sounded like a city slicker there for a second. But in the same way you accidentally stumbled into the proper terminology. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, like we said, these European cowboys, the Native Americans, they're used to this free-ranging. And all of a sudden, these homesteading farmers, a lot of whom were European, mm-hmm. they were staking their claim to property, uh, sometimes legally, sometimes illegally. Right. But the the result was the same, man. If you put up these fences, whether that was your land or it was actually like common land, um, you were claiming it as your own. And if you had a gun and a rifle and some hired hands, you could defend that land that was really common property, but you claimed for your own. And so the for all intents and purposes, it was your land now. And this had a, a an extensive domino effect where the free-range cowboys and Native Americans um, lost that common grazing area. Yeah. It got smaller and smaller. And so as the grazing land became more and more concentrated, there were more and more people um, whose herds were eating off of less and less land. And so it no longer became a viable existence, free range. And then if you were a smaller uh, landowner, you would have your land encroached on by these larger landowners. Probably some guys would show up with a gun and be like, this is our herd now. And so all of this, um, the, the, the upshot of all this is that the people who had the most land ended up taking over even more land, and just a, a handful of people got uh, the American West concentrated into their hands. That's right. So, which is kind of the history of America in a lot of ways. It's still going on today. I mean, think about when, like, Home Depot or Lowe's shows up yeah. in town. The hardware store goes out of business, That's and right. the people who used to work there now work at Lowe's or Home Depot. So, there were plenty of disputes. This was the Old West. Plenty of them involved fist fights and guns. Uh, but there were actual gangs. There was gangs called the Blue Devils or the Javelinas, and they were called fence-cutting wars. They would go in in the dead of night or maybe in broad daylight even if they were brazen and well-armed, and they would cut these wires, mm-hmm. and they would leave uh, messages and threats saying don't rebuild the stuff. Uh, there were shootouts. There were people that were killed yeah. in these fence-cutting wars. Uh, authorities eventually stepped in and were like, you know, the stop, West needs to be, yeah, it needs to be Everybody. a little less wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those wars ended, but the barbed wire endured. It did. And, I mean, you know, when you think of the barbed wire, you think of the the Old West. But you also nowadays think of, you know, War. Bar- barbed wire stretching from Switzerland to the English Channel yeah. in World War One. Razor wire. Uh, yeah, uh, um, barbed wire around um, prisons. And, sure. W.H. Um, Auden wrote a poem about it. He said that... Um, Barbed wire proclaims that you are kept out or kept in, and when you resist, it rips you. Other barriers weather, crumble, grow moss. Wire merely rusts and keeps its sting. It's a nice which, reading. Which doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't rhyme. No. But it's still pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, the military's been using it since uh, 1888. Teddy Roosevelt used it. Certainly World War I, mm. uh, it was used as a weapon. And, uh, yeah, any any prison movie you're ever going to see, you're going to see a formidable uh, coiled strip of razor wire around the top of those fences. It's like an extra silent character in most movies. That's right. Especially You've Got Mail. <laughs> oh, that was from the last episode. That's right. Uh, if you want to know more about barbed wire, well, just start walking. And, fella, you're bound to wander into it sooner or later. Just bring some antibiotics because you're going to get an infection. And since I said that, that's the end of the episode. And since it's a short stuff, that means that short stuff is over. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hold up. 